Word of God for the sermon today is from Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Uh, Mark's gospel is very action-packed, very action-oriented, and so we see two pieces of action here that are uh, not necessarily connected chronologically, but they're pieced together thematically for us today in a, in a huge package for the first Sunday in the season of Lent. So Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him, Jesus, into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to follow along today using the sermon notes. Those are inserted in your worship folder. If you're watching online, you can go to our website, holyword.net, and they are there available uh, by the video for this sermon, and you can download them there at our website. How many memberships and subscriptions do you have? I mean, I go through my wallet, and I, I purposely don't store all the cards that come, you know, credit card size cards that come with being a member or being subscribed to something. Some are in a different spot. I think they're kind of scattered around my desk in my office somewhere. But some are in my wallet. It makes it really thick. I have so many. I have AAA and I'm Marriott Rewards. And, and you probably do too. I have a number of memberships and subscriptions. Here's my question. A, do you know all of the things that you are a member of and subscribe to? B, do you know all the benefits that come with those memberships and subscriptions, like airline clubs or like supplemental insurance plans, right? And if you know all those benefits, which you'd have to be really good to know all of them, are you taking advantage of all of them? You use your ARP card to get your free coffee at McDonald's? Do you log in with your Marriott Rewards promo code when you're ordering on Amazon to get your discount? I have a couple of friends who uh, are Costco members, and they, they know all the benefits, top and bottom, at Costco. And one of them that they know is they, they'll like buy anything possible at Costco because they figured out that it basically has a lifetime extended warranty and they're on like their fourth vacuum cleaner, right? Same vacuum cleaner, but like the fourth one right now from Costco. And uh, all, all a benefit, all provided by Costco. There is at least one organization you're a member of, and me too, that I, we can take advantage of more so of the benefits that are provided. You are a member of the kingdom of God. How did that happen? What are the benefits to, that come to you that are promised and provided because you're a member of the kingdom of God? How do you get them? And where does that all take place? Jesus answers all those questions in, in these few short verses from Mark chapter 1 today. And so we're going to look very specifically at the kingdom of God. And Jesus is, is helping us look very carefully in three unexpected places where in these words we find the kingdom of God. So let's start with some basics about what the kingdom of God is. Uh, before I do that, uh, get out your phone or your Bible, um, get your Bible app uh, or your Bible out, and there's three verses I'm not projecting here on the screens I think would be really good for you to see 
as we look at the kingdom of God. Uh, and that's these three verses. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. You might want to write these down even on your sermon notes page. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. And Luke 11, verse 20. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Luke 11, verse 20. All right, hang with me there. I'll bring those up as we go forward. The kingdom of God is mentioned in the New Testament. This is very interesting. Uh, in the Gospels themselves, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, those are the four Gospels in the New Testament, how many total chapters are in the four Gospels? Those of you who are very familiar with your Bibles, uh, in, in, or you've been around the Bible a long time, right? Do some quick computations, and you come up with how many chapters in all four Gospels? 89. 89 total chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're really new, you don't have to know how many chapters. Just know that there's four Gospels. Start there. Of those 89 chapters, guess how many times the kingdom of God is referenced? In all of the four Gospels, 89 chapters, how many times the kingdom of God is referenced? 126. That's more, right? That's more than one per chapter. The kingdom of God is very important for Jesus, who's featured in the Gospels, for his teaching and for his accomplishing. Then the kingdom of God, the rest of the New Testament, is mentioned 34 times in the rest of the New Testament. It's like four times more mentioned in the Gospels. It's very important to Jesus. Who's in charge of the kingdom of God? The king in the kingdom of God is Jesus. At his great commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now here's Philippians 2. If you have that queued up, look at this. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to what place? The highest place. Highest. There is no higher place. God put Jesus on, at the highest place. He has all authority and power. And gave him the name that is above, how many names? Every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You get that? Every knee bows to Jesus who has the king of God's kingdom where? Well, up in heaven. And here on earth. Who rules hell? Who's in charge of hell? Who's the king of hell? The answer? Jesus. The devil does not rule hell because hell is ruled even by the kingdom of God. God calls the shots there. Jesus calls the shots there. He descended into hell and then left and came back right after he, after he became alive, after he rose from the dead. Satan thinks he rules hell. He, Satan thinks he's the warden of eternal prison, but he's not the warden. He's just the number one prisoner who likes to boss all the other prisoners around. And, right? Every knee bows in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The king of the kingdom of God is Jesus. So there, I already told you one surprising place. That was your bonus. There's still three more to go. The mission of the kingdom of God is to defeat sin, death, and the devil. 
So the kingdom of God, remember, is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a political kingdom, though it impacts politics. We need to listen carefully. It's not a practical kingdom. Jesus didn't want to be the bread king, and he walked away when the people were coming to him saying, uh, uh, make more bread for us, feed the 5,000 again. It's not a practical kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom, but it, it, it permeates into all of those. The goal of the kingdom of God is, is the soul, is the salvation of your soul. So Colossians 1 here, look at this. God has rescued us from the dominion kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to help you fight off Satan and temptation. And he wants to take you to heaven to live there forever. And everything, all his gracious ruling activity is focused on that mission, that goal. Now, here's an interesting thing. Final point about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is both already and not yet. There's a mystery about the kingdom of God. So in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray your kingdom come. Jesus, your kingdom, it's, it's not all together yet. Jesus, there's places where your kingdom isn't. Um, can you bring it there? Jesus, I and my family and the people around me, we want to more fully experience your ruling activity. Make that happen. Your kingdom come. Bring it, Jesus. Bring it on. And yet at the same time, Jesus can say in the Gospels, in Luke 11, verse 20, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's both already and not yet. The kingdom of God, his ruling activity that fights sin, Satan, and death, is already operating fully in your life and in your heart. The kingdom of God will be in the kingdom of heaven, but it isn't only the kingdom of heaven. It's operating right here now. So with all that in mind, let's talk more about the, uh, the surprising places. Um, I got to start with a story. And it has to do with, uh, I, I took a trip to Wisconsin in January. And we thought it was cold here in Texas in January. It was negative four degrees when we landed in Wisconsin to see some family. And uh, in all my travels over the years, I've always, I've rented cars and, and stood in the line behind eight other people and grumbled the whole time that the line's taking too long. And finally, after three years of my wife telling me, why don't you just sign up for one of those, you know, premier rental car programs. I, it takes me a while sometimes, but I listened and I signed up for the budget fast break uh, program, right? I, I saw the ad is like, wow, and it, it, it said right there, right on the ad says, fast break, avoid roadblocks at the counter. As a fast break member, you simply flash your valid license, pick up your keys, escape the long lines. I'm like, that's me. No more lines. It's awesome. And so I got all excited and I reserved my first, I signed up for this in January. I reserved my first budget fast break rental car. We landed at the Milwaukee airport. It's negative four degrees. It's freezing cold. And I'm thinking, it's going to be awesome. I won't be standing in line. I'll just get into my car and we'll go. We, the airport doors open. We walk out. Whoosh, negative four. My nostrils froze. You can see your breath. It's like icicles. And uh, we, we go. And now that you know, the cars are all 
parked in, the, in a garage, so it's like freezing cold in there too. We get in there and there's a sign at the kiosk where you like are supposed to flash your license, pick up your keys and keep going and not stop. There's a sign there. Fast break customers, please report to the budget rental counter. Towing bags with my, my wife's with me or towing bags. I'm trying to keep it together. Okay, let's go to the budget rental counter. I walk to the budget rental counter and I'm waiting for the, you know a long line and I'm ready. I'm ready to lose it. I'm like, okay. Fortunately, Lord have mercy, there was no line, but I still had to grill the lady behind the counter. What's going on? I'm fast break. I'm fast break member now. I shouldn't be standing here. Oh, I'm sorry. Fast break isn't operating on Sundays. There's limited airport traffic, and so it's not worth it for us to, okay, just give me my car. That'll be great. So go back out into the garage. Freezing. I've now spent a little bit longer than I really wanted to spend, though not that long. I'm, I'm being a bit dramatic in my head right now as I'm experiencing this, right? And I'm telling you this story. And, uh, you know, all these cars lined up in rows with salt and caked all over them and icicles hanging from them and, and we can see our breath and we're trying to find the car on F4 and we finally find it and I'm coming to Grumpy and we should be in it already and it's cold and I, uh, and we, you know the, the door just barely it creaks when you open it because it's so cold and the trunk is frozen shut and uh, we get finally get our bags in you know we, we sit down and the seat like cracks under me it's so cold and you can see our breath in the car and I finally get the car so cold out onto the cold roadway and there's ice and it's just, if fast break had worked, none of this would be happening. And uh, in that moment, in my grumpiness and my disappointment about the fast break program, my, bo my entire body warmed up like that. And it was kind of coming from down here. They, they had given me as a fast break member a, a car with heated seats. And I felt warm and cozy and so thankful to be a fast break member. <laughs> the kingdom of God is sometimes like that. In the kingdom of God, we're, we're a member and we have privileges and it provides us with benefits. But the reason that we don't experience them sometimes is that we don't see them. We're so wound up like I was and the circumstances around us. So we're seeing a situation unravel in front of us that we can't figure out. We're caught in brokenness. We're experiencing pain and loss and we're seeing these circumstances like the storms for the disciples on the Sea of Galilee around them. And, and we lose it, and, and we, well, it being our faith. We lose our faith, and we cry out to God, I thought you were in control of this operation. What happened to you, King Jesus? Is it even worth it being a member of the kingdom of God? Why am I carrying the card for the kingdom of God if it's not working for me? And we lose our faith, and we build our own selfish expectations that we think should be met when God never promised that. And the kingdom of God just doesn't seem like it's all that attractive anymore. It doesn't seem like it's all that worth it. And the good news is that Jesus tells us today, if you just 
pause and build a stop sign there and look around just and listen a little more carefully, you're going to find in some surprising places like freezing parking garages in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you're going to find the kingdom of God there too. Here we go. Here's the three places. First one. It was a bright, glorious day for Jesus, like, like one of those sunny days, warm days, and the birds are singing, and you get a promotion at work, and everything's going great, and there's no rush hour traffic, and you get to work on time, and you get home on time, and it was a great day for Jesus. It was his baptism, and John the Baptist poured water over him in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and landed on him and touched him, and the Father's voice thundered gently from the heavens, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And Jesus smiled. And the Spirit's touch and the Father's voice. And while the water was still dripping down his face like oil anointing an Old Testament king or prophet, this happened. The Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Really interesting word here in the original Greek in the New Testament. It says the Spirit sent him out. The original word there means tossed out, thrown out, thrown out, uh, drove out. It's the same word, very interestingly, it's the same word where it says Jesus drove out demons. Same word. The Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' partner, in salvation history, drove him into the desert. This place of desolation where people don't survive. The Spirit threw him out, tossed him into the wilderness. And then there's more bad news. John was put in prison, verse 14, for preaching the truth and and for telling people about Jesus. John the Baptist was put in prison. Not a stellar start to the work of Jesus' ministry. Not a stellar start to the work of the kingdom of God, wouldn't you say? Until we look more carefully. Verse 13. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. God the Holy Spirit pushes God the Son into the wilderness, into the waiting claws and drooling poisonous venom of Satan himself in the wilderness. And the wild animals are there. When when Mark wrote this gospel, Christians, not at the moment Jesus was in the wilderness, but later when Mark wrote about it, Christians were being tossed to the wild animals, to the lions. And now Mark says, by the way, your Savior was there too. Struggling, starving, not eating anything, being tempted by Satan, needing so much help that the angels came and attended him, but they they couldn't rescue him in the wilderness. Nobody, not even Jesus, lives on this planet in perfect paradise. 
everybody, especially people who are following God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you will at some point be pushed by the Spirit into the wilderness. You probably already have. The wilderness of loneliness. Amazing how today in our information and technology age we can, we can still be so lonely in the midst of crowded calendars and busy work. Brokenness. Relationships gone bad. Work is drama. The loss of friends. People turning on you. Family dysfunction, brokenness, becoming a victim of injustice, where the prob- there's a problem in your life and it's wrong, and someone is doing something wrong or has done something wrong, and, and nobody is fixing it. And the Spirit tosses you in the midst of it all, drives you there. But in another gospel, it also says the Spirit was leading Jesus in the wilderness. Now the Spirit is not behind. The Spirit is in front. Come on, Jesus. I'm not going to take you anywhere where it's unsafe. I'm not leaving you. Both ahead and behind, the Spirit has Jesus embraced and surrounded like a force field in the desert. It doesn't mean the temptations aren't real, but the Spirit is there with him. In, in your wilderness, the Spirit is there walking step by step with you. And Jesus is there who has battled and won every temptation you will ever face, every trouble that seems insurmountable. Jesus is with you in the wilderness, just like he was in his own. And your wilderness, my friends, is never a random detour. There is your first unexpected place to find the kingdom of God. It's in an unexpected location. It's in your wilderness. God is there. With God and being a member of his kingdom, there are no detours. Being a member of God's kingdom means you are never lost. You may not know where you are. You may be wandering. You may be confused, but you are never lost. The Spirit is there. Jesus goes with you. And you can fight because your wilderness isn't ruled by Satan. Your wilderness isn't ruled by your sin and by your shame and by mistakes and messes of the past. It's ruled by a forgiving Savior who still in his own wilderness had the Spirit's touch, who still had the Father's voice in the words that Jesus spoke in the desert to Satan himself. And you do too. The Spirit's touch, the Father's voice. And in your weakness in the wilderness, you reach up and you say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. And the King of the kingdom of God says, I've been waiting for those words for a long time. And he fights for you and he fights with you and the battle is won. Don't be afraid. That's good news. Uh, the Bible uses the word, Jesus uses this word in this, uh, in this section, the word good news. 
Um, good news in the New Testament is a word. The Greek is oi, angelion. You hear the word angel in angelion. Angel means messenger. So good news means, oi means good. Uh, euthanasia, euthanasia means good death, right? Eulogy, logos means good. Uh, sorry, I'm teaching a Greek lesson. Um, logos means word. Eulogy, oi, oi, good word. Okay, so think of all the oi words you can today and text them to me. I just used about four of them. Um, Oiangelion means good message. That's the Greek word in the, in the New Testament that says there's this good message. It's, it's a proclamation of a life-changing event. Here's the interesting thing. This is not a Bible word. This word existed and already in Greek culture, and the Bible writers used it, the word oiangelion or gospel. So the, the kingdom of Persia attacked the, the kingdom of Greece in the, at the battle of Solnus and the battle of Marathon. The Greeks won those battles. So they sent messengers after they were victorious in those battles. They sent messengers to the cities in the, in the kingdom to announce, we've defeated the Persians. You are free. You're not slaves of the kingdom of Persia anymore. This, is, th this changes your life. And they used the word oiangelion for that announcement. It was the gospel announcement that you're free, that this event happened all without you doing anything, and you're experiencing the benefits. You get it? You get why the Bible writers use that word now? For the good, Jesus uses that word, believe the good news, the gospel. So that's, uh, that helps us with the second, the second place, is uh, verse 13. Jesus is now preaching and he's saying, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Here's what strikes me about that statement. It's, there's a sandwich. That statement is a sandwich. And, and on each side, you have this awesome thing. You have the good news. And, on the, and then on the other side, you have the kingdom of God has come near. And between it, this is like the meat of the sandwich, but you have repent. And that kind of is the bad part because what's necessarily involved in repentance is sin. You don't repent unless there's sin. And so you have sin sandwiched in between these two awesome kingdom components, the good news and the kingdom of God. And guess what that, that, guess what that's saying? That's saying the kingdom of God exists for the sake of sinners. And good news, there's good news, and the good news, the target audience of good news is sinners. Jesus once said, I, have, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, You'll find, secondly, the kingdom of God, not just in unexpected location, but an unexpected message. Where to sinners' own ears, the king of the kingdom has news. And the news is life changing, gospel, oi angelion. There's been a battle, and I've won the battle. I lived and died and rose for you. You are forgiven. That is such a huge difference where you think about Christianity and how Christianity is different than all other religions in this world, even no religion. 
There's the, the, they're just set apart. You can put all those religions into one, and the essence of all other religions outside of Christianity, the essence of them is that the message of all of those is advice. Do this. Please the gods in this way. Modify your behavior so that you're becoming perfect. Live a, a good religious life that, that meets all the rules. Then, then you're a good religious person. Then the gods have favor on you. That is the message of every other religion on our planet other than Christianity. Christianity, what's our message, our gospel, our good message? The essence of Christianity is not advice, but announcement. Not do this, but done. Not you, you take care of getting right, and, and we, when you got your stuff together, then you're, a, then you're a good member of this religious kingdom, but you're a mess and you're not going to get better by yourself. You've made a lot of mistakes, and you can't go back and change the past. Even while you're a mess, even in the midst of your mistakes, even from your bad decisions, even your secret sins that no one else knows about, Jesus loves you, and you are why he came. What an unexpected message for sinful ears and hearts that need encouragement and the essence of Christianity is the gospel, the announcement. It's, it's already done, not advice. All right, on to the third and last one. Unexpected location, unexpected message. And this last one is unexpected person. Is that the next slide? You'll find the kingdom of God an unexpected person. Um, I'm going to be a little less obvious then the kind of person you would think of here is maybe like someone who's committed a lot of sins or terrible person, Hitler, right? Ter terrible people. Um, that, that's a little too obvious. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about our friend Jim, who is in a hospice right now, hours or days away from leaving this earth and living in eternal glory. And most of you know him and love him and have shook his hand and hugged him and he's not here today and his wife is sitting by his side. A man who has a gift for reaching out to others with the gospel. A man who has baptized more babies in foreign lands than, <laughs> than me and all of us put together have baptized here on U.S. soil. The, and the hand, his hand that has reached out to others is now shaken and, and jaundiced and weak. And he can still reach out and I can hold it. But it's not doing much for me. I'm doing something for that hand. And how we wish it were different. How can it be, Lord, that you can allow this great missionary of your kingdom to not be out doing mission work. How can it be, Jesus, that John the Baptist, your forerunner who is proclaiming the kingdom of God, is now in prison? 
because the kingdom of God is also there. John is the unlikely person who is experiencing the benefits of the kingdom of God. Oh, how we read the New Testament and say it sounds crazy that he's not out preaching the gospel, but the kingdom of God is in. Jesus speaks about John who is in prison and says, among men born of women, there is no one greater than John. And Jesus can say that about him even while he's in prison. And Jesus can say that about Jim even while he's dying of cancer. There is a great man. Because his greatness is not about how many babies he's baptized. And his, his greatness isn't about his accomplishments or the statistics of his mission work. His greatness is the fact that he is a member of the kingdom of God. And so are you. And so am I. I have platinum status in the kingdom of God, even like he does, even though I'll never baptize as many babies. You have platinum status in the kingdom of God, even though you might be thrown in prison someday for your faith. Even though you might suffer in the prison of cancer or the prison of chronic illness or the, the prison of special needs or the prison of addiction, you are no less a member of the kingdom of God than John the Baptist and then Jim and then the greatest of saints because it's not about your achievements. It's about Jesus' achievements. And so the kingdom of, you find the kingdom of God in this unexpected, unlikely person when you look in the mirror and you can say, I'm a perfect and holy child of God bought with the blood of Jesus. He's my king and that will never change. So it's Lent. Time to engage in maybe some special spiritual disciplines. We have extra church services every Wednesday night, a midweek church service at Holy Word Austin. Put a little more worship in your life. Maybe some extra spiritual different, uh, uh, disciplines. Maybe you're giving up eating something or at least giving up you know, a particular sin. Please, just at least for Lent, okay? Um, so, praying more, studying God's word in a special way, memorizing a, a song all so that the kingdom of God can come closer to you. So how close to you will the kingdom of God come this Lent? I want to leave you with this thought. Because of everything that Jesus has said and done in these short verses in Mark chapter 1, in every place, every unlikely, unexpected place we found the kingdom of God today, Here's some good news. How close will the kingdom of God come to you? Uh, the kingdom of God has already come to you, and it is already close to you, and you are already a member of it, and you already enjoy all of its benefits and privileges. Just savor that and enjoy them even more. Your kingdom come, God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this section of the Word and the Gospel of Mark. We see you in action uh, after your baptism, being tempted in the wilderness, and then preaching the good news to save people's souls. Thanks for making us part of your audience today and, and preaching those, those words of the Gospel to us, to our spirits, to our hearts to our need for forgiveness and our need for hope. 
Thank you for providing us a clear way ahead or we can fight the devil and all his temptations, standing toe-to-toe with him and not being afraid because of the Spirit's touch and the Father's voice and your sacrifice and your blood which chases the devil away. Please make us more confident in our own wilderness. Help us as a church to stand strong and to always preach your gospel and to never give up on it. As an, as an organization, as a church, and to never give up on people, on people in our lives who need to hear the gospel and need you. Put your spirit to work, Lord, in their lives as much as in ours, and may your kingdom come to us and to others now and forever. Amen.